All right. Well, welcome to an edition of Soapbox, whole box anniversary edition, actually. So I'm um, here with my friend John Clausen today, Senor Clausen. Uh, thank you for being here on the show for a little bit. And we're here to drill you with lots of questions. But mostly we're here for the whole box anniversary. So it's going to be 15 years since the first release of whole box believe it or not, in June of 2006. So first of all, maybe you can introduce yourself so you can give your glamorous introduction. Glamorous introduction. Um, my name is John Clausen. I'm a senior software developer with Porto Solutions. Um, I have been a Coldbox user since 2009 or 10, I think it is, somewhere in there. Um, so for me, it's been about uh, it's been about 11 years of Coldbox. So I got got on board, you know, right about the early part of the three release. Um, and um, I have uh, I've been with Orta Solutions now for a while. Previous to that, I've been developing with uh, CFML since 2004. So yeah. Wow. Long time CFR, long time CFR. So yes. I guess my first question to you would be like, can you believe that it has been 15 years since version one? I know, I know. That's a long time. I mean, that's a really mature, that's a really mature framework when you consider so many that come and go, you know, um, it, I think that, that, that longevity demonstrates how, uh, how the framework continues to be developed and it continues to be appealing to people to, to uh, adopt for their own application. So I think that's a, I think that's a pretty good sign in itself, in and of itself. Pretty crazy. We're, we're dating me now, but, uh, but that's pretty awesome. So w w I know you started mentioning that we started using Coldbox a, a long time ago. So, you know, when, when did you start using Coldbox? So you were just saying 10 years ago, do you remember which version? You remember yep. which version you started on? Well, it was it was version. <clears throat> it was a uh, an older version of com content box. Actually, is what got me into Coldbox. And I was looking. I was looking at a client that was heavily invested in C legacy CFML, and we had a lot of uh, uh, there were a lot of old templates. I mean, stuff that had been developed, you know, since like the late '90s, right? Um, stuff that had been developed, and we had to like take this this whole application that was customized and sort of move it and update and modernize it. And so at the time, there was a content element to that site. And we went ahead and incorporated all that static content and using the content box. And Coldbox was the perfect solution at that point because I could go ahead and move all of those old templates into views uh, into an NBC framework. And we just basically you know, migrated the entire site, handled the redirects. I mean, there's a lot of stuff that we do now a lot that would have been a lot easier today. Um, but that's how it started. So I had to learn Coldbox. I had to learn Coldbox to handle the customizations of this this client's needs in the application, and um, and and so we ended up doing it, and it was it was outstanding. And from that point onward, I just continued to I continued to expand my use of just the framework on its own um, and Content Box, and move forward from there. So yeah. Well, so basically, you basically you started it because it was a a, a project that came to you, and you were like. Okay, now I gotta learn this. Yeah, I know. I've been. I'd used all the other. I mean, I'd used the CFML frameworks, Mach two, Model Glue, all all the all the frameworks that were had had been used. And there were so many. I mean, there were. It, it was always configuration over convention, right? Because you were just doing so much XML work and configuration. And um, and one of the things that I really kind of fell in love with at the time in Coldbox was how e how the you know the convention over configuration for me is a much more intuitive approach. It saves me a whole lot of boilerplate, just 
you know, entering files and things like, you know, entering XML text and things like that. And, um, and I loved it. And, and there was really, you know, I think there's, and I think when you talk about framework developers, because I've used a lot of them in different languages as well, but you talk about framework development, there's kind of two approaches, right? There's the, um, let me give you the most basic framework possible, and then you have to figure everything else out. Or there's the approach where I'm going to give you all the tools to, to, you know, that you might need, and you can disable some of those features or turn some of those features off, but the tools kit, the toolkit's available. And there's like an ecosystem around it. And you see that, you know, when you look at uh, CFML frameworks, right? There's always been sort of the, those two approaches, like, um, you know, um, uh, framework one is is the, the former and Coldbox is the latter. And some people like the former because they want to roll their own everything. And some people want to get to the point where they're actually... Uh, you know, for me, it's, it's always been about getting to the point where um, you can get the customer from A to Z the most efficiently, and, and you can really build elegant software around uh, a core central framework that gives you a lot of features built in. And I like that. Very cool. Very cool. So how do you, how do you feel that, obviously, when we're working as what we do with a framework, obviously, it changes things, right? We're not doing the you know, kind of procedural approach and everything, but you know, since we're doing a Coldbox uh, focus here, how, how do you think that Coldbox per se has, has helped you as a developer? Well, I think it's good. I mean, I think any framework gives you a certain amount of structure. I think Coldbox yeah. has done that by giving me a clear path. Um, I think you're, the way in which you have developed it and coded it and, and early, you know, we're an early adopter of modularization in the framework has led me to develop a lot of modules on my own. And because those modules, the existing modules and existing framework followed a, a predefined pattern, it steered me into a particular structure in my development um, and made my development better. Um, in addition, you know, when we would do, when I would do pull requests or submissions onto the core modules or the framework, it, it made my coding better because I was following the sort of an evolved adopted set of standards. Um, so I think actually as a developer, it's probably one of the things you not, I mean, using Coldbox, but, but developing in the Coldbox ecosystem more to the point has made me probably, uh, you know, has, has maybe the, what, you know, the, a better developer through and through year in, year out. Um, and, and part of the other, other side of that is developing when you develop within an open source ecosystem, you really you know, you get a lot from other developers. There's a lot of other good developers that are working together. And so you're always picking up things and you're, and it's challenging you to innovate and it's challenging you to, to take this framework and do something else. And that's the evolution of um, some of the modules that I've, I personally developed, you know, with MongoDB and CB Elasticsearch, um, you know, all of those are coming from the need to innovate and, and, you know, work these new technologies at the time, new technologies into uh, the CFML world and also into this ecosystem of Coldbox and get people using it. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I remember the first time I met you actually was uh, as a, for uh, Orchard's Developer Week. And you were actually presenting on, on your Mongo uh, module at the time, and you were presenting on build processes and you know, doing all this stuff. And I was like, dang, this, that, this guy's sharp. So it, it was, it's pretty cool to see, you know, how people in the community start 
and that's that's exactly what you said community you know that we have a, a big community surrounding the framework now uh, that has grown throughout the years that the ecosystem around it you can pretty much find anything you want to build your apps on so and i know you you're you're building lots of modules and lots of stuff like that but you know what do you what do you like most about the framework per se you mentioned conventions over configuration and in all reality, when I when I developed the first edition of Coldbox, it wasn't even cold Coldbox, right? It no. wasn't. It was it was closed source. It was in the 2004. And I think that the first conventions and configuration that I saw in the wild was Ruby, because I think Ruby released in 2004 when I was starting to develop the first version of, of Coldbox, which which is actually called Textus. That was the original name, which was to weave in Latin. I'm a big Latin fan, yeah. and. Um, and it was it was it was like a game changer for me to not rely on a big XML file. But uh, what do you like most about Coldbox? What, what what is something that you're like? Oh my gosh, this is something that I use every day, or it brings me productivity. Yeah, I mean, I think there's I think there's really two things. I mean, I think one once is the is the inherent structure and the framework, right? You know, and the modular the, the built-in modularization because I use modularization every day to develop API modules to stay on, you know, to be able to version those API modules, dealing with, um, you know, uh, the, the, the structure for build, keeping, basically keeping an application. And my primary project right now is a pretty big application, um, but it's all modularized. And so the file system is very intuitive and, and all of that. And Coldbox makes that really easy. I would say that probably my favorite thing about Coldbox, though, is the amount of time that you've spent on, you um, expanding on the capabilities of the engine and the JVM underneath. I mean, there's so much that there's so much that Coldbox does under the hood, whether it be, you know, handling all of the mappings for all automatic mappings for all these modules and all the stuff that you would normally have to configure through the admin or the CF config file or application CFC, whatever. Uh, and it makes all that stuff easy. Same thing with Java, same thing with dealing with the Java loader modules and being able to incorporate um, I mean, my first right now, I mean, all, if you look at all of the, the, the modules I've developed that deal with third party uh, database servers and caching servers, all of them started using the Java library and allowed that to wrap that within the within the cold box framework. And so you've done a lot of things. And now as we look at, you know, like uh, the newest versions, we're talking about all sorts of async features. And I'm incorporating more and more of those. So there's more and more of those things where I was using those as I was having to do some sort of polling or I was going to have to do a scheduled task or whatever. Those things are happening now in the background and we're leveraging the power of, you know, modern computing and the, the JVM. And to me, that's really exciting. And that's, that's the thing that I think is my, my favorite part is that you've spent not only a whole lot of time, you know, focusing on the structure and making sure that the framework is fast and loads, you know, and, and performant, but you've also made, brought it so that I can very easily get to the underlying, you know, Java system and leverage all the power and all of the available tools that are out there for, for Java as well. Yeah, that's a good segue for, for kind of the next question, which is, you know, what are you looking forward to? You know, obviously 15 years, um, I would say there have been maybe three our major architectural shifts in the core itself. We're in version six right now, you know, over 100 releases. But, uh, you know, there's still gas in the tank and you're part of this. So what, what, are, you, what are you looking forward to? Um. 
I, I think that the thing that's exciting me the most is that we've, and this is really having developed applications in Node or with an asynchronous language and having learning how to develop. And there's there's some pain with that, right? There's some pain in learning to develop an async, an async language. But one of the things that we haven't done well from a language standpoint is async. And I think what Coldbox 6 has done is open the door up to using asynchronous programming and actually making it a more modern language. Because frankly, if you look at what, you know, like Go has done with its Go, with Go routines and things like that, and some of the other languages have done with their ability to handle async programming, Scala, everything, we're just, we're just basically kind of bootstrapping CFML with the Coldbox 6 release into the world of async programming in a way that is really exciting to me. So I think that's probably one of my biggest the things that I'm most excited about. Um, and, and it also makes everything more performant and more fast because we're doing a lot more, there's a lot more asynchronous programming that's built into the core in the way that we handle logging and other things like that. But it also, there's also a lot of, um, a lot of like performance decisions that have been made in the last few releases that involve the way we handle, you know, lazy loading of modules, singletons, all sorts of things like that. And it, it's, you're not talking, you're talking about a framework that's gotten more advanced and, and bigger from, from a lines of code standpoint, but is way more performant than it was two releases ago. And that to me is exciting. Yeah, that's pretty cool. Yeah, definitely a synchronous land, as I call it. Uh, it's a painful land, but <laughs> it's Indeed. such a beautiful yeah. land. That, uh, yeah, I think that's where we're headed. You know, that was a, the biggest architectural shift in years when we did six is when we introduced uh, completable futures. And now with the synchronous scheduling and, you know, we have queuing in the roadmap, we have, you know, web sockets in the roadmap, right? So we have all this asynchronous activities that are going to be coming. I think that's very exciting for me as well. All right, so maybe we can get a little bit more in your in your into your mind and and, and heart, Mr. John Clausen. So you know what what kind of drives you? What 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 do you care about? What what motivates you as a developer as a, as a creator? I'm you know I, I think there's a lot of people that are motivated by technology itself or by the lang- languages themselves. I've always been more motivated by finding elegant solutions to problems. I just like, I like problem solving. Um, and I like taking the challenge of having something, having to take something new and big and distill it into a pattern that, you know, into an architectural pattern that is elegant and maintainable. Um, <clears throat> what, what, you know, one of the things that, that is the most satisfying for me is when, you know, uh, uh, code from an application, for example, or a module or anything like that is put out there. And not only is it, is it elegant and does all that it needs to do, but it can very easily be maintained and a new user can pick it up and understand it and understand the way it's written right away. So, I mean, I think that, I think right now, you know, I've, I, that's, those are the things that, that uh, excite me. I also think that, <clears throat> the DevOps space is changing so rapidly that there's a lot of that side, a lot of things with regard to containerization. Um, you know, now that technology is more mature and there's a lot of other options that are available on it, but I think there's a whole lot of things with regard to the DevOps side and, and um, you know, automatically configuring and building infrastructure that I, I, I really get excited about too. Yeah, that's pretty awesome. And for those uh, who don't know, 
John is in charge of, of maintaining the Docker images for command box. So um, all the DevOps, all the container features and all that is coming from this, this, this man's mind. And um, that's a great, also another question for you, which kind of, you know, follows it is, is how do you stay modern? You know, we have this issue about, you know, modernization and, and people that are staying in legacy land and, and want to move forward. Maybe, maybe be a good kind of, you know, intro for people to know how do you, how do you stay modern for not only CFML, right? But because CFML is just a portion of what we do, right? We have to work with many technologies, many languages, right? Yeah. Especially nowadays, I think, People have to to stay focused not on a single language, but learn multiple technologies and languages. So, the question is, how do you stay modern for software development in general? Well, I think there's I think there's something one a path that I've kind of chosen in the last few years that's different than the path I the way I would kind of approach it ten years ago. I think. 10 years ago, I was trying to like drink water from the fire hose with all the information that was out there. And so I was constantly, I was subscribing to all these, you know, all these different feeds and blogs and news articles and everything like that. And I think that one of the things that I've, I, I found helpful in the last five years is to try to reduce this, the noise ratio and increase the signal ratio. Yeah. Um, and, and so what I've done a lot, a lot of what I do is I follow um, I follow or I check in on a pretty regular basis, usually weekly or monthly with certain uh, medium has actually been a good one because it throws some mm, stuff yeah, up yeah, in my, yeah. in my, you know, feed that like is relevant. There's, there's also a lot of noise there too, but medium yeah. has been one that I, I, I read re- pretty regularly. And so it kind of uh, cues me into new things. And when there's things like new languages or new frameworks coming out, I try to stay current, even though I don't really develop, Right now, day to day in PHP or Node, um, you know, or any of the other languages, go. Um, I I try to stay current, you know, with what's going on in those technologies because a lot of times I get inspired to see how you could apply a similar approach in CFML by things I see in other languages. Um, so I think that's one thing that I do, um, and I think the other thing is a lot of times when I when I'm given a problem to solve, even if I know how to solve it in CFML with maybe my, you know, all the experience that I have, I'll step, I'll try to step back and say, okay, is there a, is there an, another elegant approach? Because I think, <clears throat> I think that's one of the dangers I see in a lot of older developers is that they will, they will say, okay, I have, I'm given this, this UI task that I need to solve. And I know jQuery, so I'll solve it in jQuery. And they never step back and say, okay, well, you know, you know, in 2005, jQuery was the way to go. Is that the right <laughs> approach now? <clears throat> Excuse me. So, so I think for me, it's a lot of times it's, it's making sure that when I'm, when I'm given a new story or task, whatever, um, that I step back and say, am I, am I, is the, is the filter through which I'm looking at things right now necessarily the right filter? And does it give me the most efficient, elegant approach to solve the problem? And a lot of times I discover new technologies that way. You know, yeah, I um, think that's super important. And what you just said, I, I think that every developer should take note of that because that's gold to me where, where you basically look out from your own environment because we get a tendency to always be looking down. And once you start looking up and seeing the landscape and seeing what other languages are doing, even other frameworks, I mean, we get inspiration from every framework out there. Uh, yeah. You know, I mean, I remember when we were, I was giving you 
we're going back and forth with the synchronous processing and you're like, oh, check out these Go routines. You know, uh, and it was it was great. I spent like a whole day just looking at Go code, which I had never done in my life. And and it was so edifying. And that really, it, like you said, it's, it would it even sparks you up. It even motivates you to, to say like, man, I got to learn some new stuff, new skills. Exactly. exactly. And I, I think that's, you know, the other danger you run into this is that there is a learning curve associated. There's a certain amount of pain. And you also have to be willing to defend the extra time it takes you to implement a new a solution involving new technology over the faster, maybe older school approach that you might have done it based on what you already know. Because the problem is, is if you if you do the former, if you take the fastest, you know, fastest route from A to Z and bypass the options that are available, do you make maybe to modernize it or make it more effective with what's available? Uh, you end up, you end up hating your code for one, because at some point you end up hitting the wall of this is too old and I don't know what to do with it, you know, Um, and, and, or I can't find any, anything that helps me develop on this framework or platform that I've developed on for so long anymore, because the world has moved on. And now I've got all this stinky old code that I don't know what to do with. So I think that's, you know, if it also depends on how you're willing to kind of approach that and how you're willing sort of to defend your choices to say, no, we need to do this in a more with a more modern approach with these with these new technologies, because if we don't, you know, two years, three years, five years from now, we're going to be left with a a steaming pile of stinky code, you know? Yeah, yeah, it's a technical debt that we all had to pay, but I think exactly. it's important you mentioned. Yeah, it's important that you mentioned that it's not easy, and I think that's a that's a big one. I think that people need to understand that you know there's always work. You know, you always have to have some type of hard work involved, and being able to be disciplined enough to keep up to date, you know, is really important. Nothing, nothing magical exists to no, give you knowledge. So it just takes hard work. So that's awesome. That's great. So um, here's more of a kind of community-focused question for us, but um, I think it's always important to, to give these ideas to, to, to folks that are listening. Uh, maybe it'll reach the ears of powers to be, but how can you grow, in your opinion, how would you grow the CFML community? What is the John master plan? Well, I, I'd say there's probably two ways that I would focus on if I were, you know, focusing on the CFML community. I think one is, um, is, is folks, I mean, I th- if you look at developing in CFML in 2005, I mean, I think about it like, you know, there was CF image, I had to pay for all these modules, I had to pay for this, I had to pay for that. And there was sort of this mindset in the community that, that if we were going to make something, we had to find a way that had to be monetized somewhere. And, and I, I still think there's a place for that. But the other side of it is, is I think that we've, as a community, there's the, the idea of being able, of empowering people within the community, the average developer to say, you can contribute to this. I don't care if it's a line of code um, on one thing. I don't care if it's fixing a typo. Start somewhere. Contribute. Submit a pull request. Because when you, once you do that, once the more people that have their little name, their little icon avatars 
on that GitHub repo, the more ownership there is in the community and the more things grow when they thrive and develop. Now, that doesn't mean that there's not going to be conflicts about how people see their contributions being used or evolving down the road. What it means is that, you know, you participate in the dialogue for how the framework grows, for how the modules grow, for how the language grows when we're talking about it with regard to, to open source, uh, you know, and, and both the, the, both the open source and the proprietary engines. So, you know, I think to me that it's mostly about like participation. And I think the first step I would have would be to, would be to encourage people to participate, not just to adopt, not just to adopt and, and, um, you know, try things out, but actually to participate and say, if you're in there and you're trying to figure out how this works and you spot something, take time, submit a pull request, get your, get your avatar on that GitHub repo and become a part of the ownership of this, of a, of a thriving long-term product. Or- yeah, I, that's, that's gold. And I, I think that <clears throat> I find the same thing. I think like for some reason, I'm, I'm starting to feel that something has changed a bit right now. And I think mostly it has to do with people are learning more languages, right? And the, mm-hmm. the CF developer now has to deal with Node. It has to deal, you know, with Kotlin. It has to deal with a lot more technologies where, you know, it's normal for you to go to GitHub, fork, you know, and collaborate. And I think that we've never had that, right, before in the confusion right. days. And and I think that that uh, has hindered the language per se. And obviously, you know, we didn't have an open source alternative, uh, but... Yeah, I think that people, if they just go and, you know, fork, submit a typo, that's a start, right? Yeah. I, I like that. Really good. Yeah. All right. So maybe a last question here on the outro questions is, you know, what advice would you give yourself to the younger, young Clausen? The younger mm-hmm. developer, your mentoring, young John, what would you say to him? What, what would be your, your golden nuggets of advice? I think for me, the biggest, uh, the biggest learning curve was uh, the, the biggest advice that I would give a younger version of myself is that when you get good at something or when you consider yourself a technical expert, back up and try to take the approach that you're a noob again. Because I find, you know, it's like when we started working together, right? You know, I would, I've been developing a long time. I had a certain amount of pride in my, in my skills and, and you would give me very targeted feedback on those pull requests. And at first I would bristle and, <laughs> and, and, and that was natural. I mean, there's a lot of developers yeah. that do that. That's, you know, in my experience, that's been the case, but the, the problem is, is that our egos so often get in the way of us learning new things of adopting new things. And I would say that, you know, I would say probably like the biggest, if I were to distill it into a single phrase would beware of ego, you know, I mean, <laughs> That would probably be yeah, because because I think you know when you talk about what stalls us, what stalls us is developers from learning. What stalls us is developers from from being uh, members of a of a community, members of a team, whatever that is. I think ego is probably the one thing that I see get in the way the most. Yeah, that's 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 really amazing, really amazing feedback. I think that's it's so important to to remain humble throughout time because there's always somebody smarter than you. There's always somebody faster than you and it just happens, you know, and uh, that's the way life is. So I think having a a big sense of humility and we got to make that a t-shirt or something. Beware of the ego. Yeah. Beware of ego. (laughs) All right. 
Well, I have some fun questions for you. These are kind of just kind of what I'm calling the lightning questions. It's kind of something fun. Um, best 80s rock band? The best 80s rock band. Um, oh, geez. I would have to say, uh, oh, that's tough. That's a tough one for me. <laughs> um, because I listened to so like the 80s is like my entire childhood. It started out exactly. with like listening to Air Supply <laughs> and ended up listening to like, I don't know, Metallica. So there's like so much in between there. I don't, oh man, I'm going to have to say, I don't know. I'm going to have to say like, if I, it, it, not even a rock band, I'm just going to have to say Prince because Prince. Prince. Nice, nice. All right. What, um, what is kind of the, the best TV series or movie that you have watched this past year? This past year, the best TV series um, or movie. Um, geez. I think probably the one I, well, I'm trying to think here. I've, I've been kind of getting back to books this last year. Like that's one thing I've done. I mean, I really got into some of the stuff that there was a couple series that were on Netflix that I really got into and I really enjoyed. Um, but I've been, um, yeah, I've kind of been going back to books. Um, so I'd say probably um, in movies and TV for the past year, I'm gonna have to punt on that. I'll let's, let's go to the next question. I'll come back to it. Well, the next question is easy. What is the best book that you have read in the last year? Oh, okay. Um, well, that's easy. I just actually picked up, I don't know, I've been like on a Montana kick or something, but I picked up, <laughs> I, I love the, there's a TV show called Longmire that's on, on, uh, started on a &E and now Netflix owns it. And, um, and I really like that TV show, but like I, I kind of checked out after a few seasons, but I came across the author's original like books. And so I picked it up and I really fell in love. Like, the books are so much better than the, than the series itself. And I, I've, I've read now, I've read that series now twice. It's a series of 16 books and I've read it twice. And, uh, yeah, I know. I'm a pretty, pretty voracious reader on that side of things. Um, yeah. I'm trying to think the movie thing is still, still kind of like got me on that one. I'm trying to, <laughs> I really like, I mean like of the series that I really love, I really like the Mandalorian and um, WandaVision I thought was a really cool imagining of that storyline because i was a comic book nerd when i was a kid too um yeah, yeah. so like that those ones are really good um i really liked oh another movie that i really liked was soul on disney plus i don't know if you've seen oh that yeah one. that was a that was a good one my kids loved it too yeah, yeah. no i was i mean it's more of like a kid it's not an adult movie not a grown-up movie per se but it's really it's it's a sweet movie yeah. um and then uh let's see what else i've i've seen a few um yeah, there's, there's a, I'll have to think about that, I'm, but I'm, I'm going to say, I'll just leave those, those ones for now. So those are good. Those are good. Good, good answers. Um, so I know you're a voracious reader here, but I think it's, to me, I'm also, I love books. I love reading. I think it's one of the best ways to increase your knowledge. Um, how many books do you read uh, a year or a month? So our audience knows the importance. Well, I usually have three books. I usually have three books on my nightstand. I have a fi something Whoa. fiction that I'm reading. I'll have usually some sort of like technical, something that is like brain meaty. And then I yeah. usually have some sort of like kind of self-help or something that's maybe a little lighter, a devotional, a book of poetry or something like that. So I kind of, I kind of bounce back and forth wherever, wherever I'm at. So I usually have like three things going. Um, 
but I would say over the course of a year, I will probably read on average between five to 10 books a month, maybe up to 15, depending on the, on the month. Wow. That's good. That's good, man. I'm going to put that for my kids to hear. <laughs> Excellent. They're awesome. on their own. It's just that the reading consumption is a different, is different with the kids yeah. now too. And I, it's really interesting. My, uh, my youngest is as as an English teacher that has just inspired this year, and all of a sudden there's a lot more books in the house, you know. Yeah. And so I think some of it too comes from inspiration, and yeah, you know. I agree with that. I definitely agree with that. I think that right now we're limiting so much of the of the electronics, and for kids to return back to the the good sense mm-hmm. of books. And I find myself too. I, I actually had bought like a Kindle for me to read an electronic. And I ditched it because I kind of needed back the tactile feel of a book, you know? Yep. So I've been, I've been getting back into buying real physical books again. And, you know, when I travel, I'll put like three in my backpack and yeah. kind of, it's kind of getting back into that, that habit. Yeah, I'm a hybrid um, that way. I actually did the, I have a kin like all my fiction reading is Kindle because I'll like get to the end of a end of a book. And if it's in a series, then I'll just immediately start in the next one. So that's kind of, a, <laughs> that's kind of a bad thing and a good thing too. Cause it, yeah, yeah. you know, but um, like non all my nonfiction is that way. You know, I, I, I read paper. That's great. Yeah. I'm getting into audiobooks though. I loved audiobooks now. So I finally gotten into them and I find them really satisfying um so very cool very cool so what it's a, a kind of a more personal question but it's, i think it's always important for people to kind of see you know the human side of things but you know what's kind of a, an area of personal growth that you would say that you have experienced recently what's something that that you you, you have said oh my gosh I've, I've grown i think i'm all i mean i think there's a lot of areas in which i've grown i think the last few years have been um you know i'm i've got a teenager at home who's going to graduate next year and I think that, you know, um, I'm a single dad and that's, that's certainly produced a lot of growth. I think personally, the biggest thing that I've, the biggest area for me that I've grown in in the past year has been um, recognizing, I'm not always good at it because I'm still getting there, recognizing that um, there is, that I can, that I can, well, first of all, I'm almost 50 years old. I'm 49 now. Um, that's kind of, that's kind of weird, but, um, the, you know, I, I'm recognizing that I, that the price I pay for working 12 or 14 hour days is a lot higher that I end up, the, the cost of it's a lot higher because I, I crash and need more recovery. And so I'm recognizing how important it is rather than to be able to have, for me to, to be operating these cycles of, you know, just go nose to the grindstone you know, full throttle and then just like take a break. Um, it's better for me to space that out and to be more purposeful about how I, uh, how I make sure that I take time to recharge on a daily basis rather than like storing it up and trying to recharge all in one shot a month down the road, if that makes sense. Wise words from Mr. John Clausen. Listen, kiddos, wise words, wise words. All right. So fun stuff. So what do you, what do you like to do for fun? Well, I'm a, I'm a very avid fisherman. So that's one thing I really enjoy doing. And I really, just, I really, I grew up in the outdoors. I grew up in uh, South Dakota and most of my, like my, my family vacations as a kid were all camping trips out to the Black Hills and South Dakota, that area. 
And so I, uh, you know, that's like an important thing that kind of not only does it recharge me, uh, it, it helps me unplug because it's, okay. you know, when you're somewhere last week, I was on vacation. I was in an area where the cellular reception was spotty all week. And I had my Slack notifications turned off for the first time. I think I've gone on vacation ever. And so it was like, I was like unplugged and, uh, and that, re- that really recharges me because it, one, it takes me out of my everyday world. It takes me into a different kind of a different uh, modality, if you will. Um, and, and also it's, it's an important part of, you know, how I grew up, you know, there was a lot of things with my dad and with my, you know, um, you know, and, and what I like to do growing up that, that are part of that. And, uh, and I, so that's, that's a, a big thing that, you know, like I said, that that's kind of been, uh, um, that's one of my favorite things is just getting out on the water. And like, it's, it's one of those few things where I can shut my brain down and like, not think about anything else except what I'm doing in that moment. So very cool. Very cool. And final question for you. What's a hidden talent that you have? Well, I don't know if it's hidden, but I am my I'm actually my college degree is in acting. And um, so there's there's I, I would that's probably in this realm, the technical technical realm, that's probably something that would surprise some people. Um, <laughs> I am uh Let's see what else. I'm also I'm also very handy. I can I can uh, usually fix just about anything. So that's always a, that's I don't know if that's hidden either, but that's something <laughs> that's that uh, comes cool. in handy. So <laughs> awesome, man! Awesome. Well, I think it was a uh, awesome to chat with you, man, and get into your into your heart even more. I've been we've been working together for quite some time now, and I love working with you. You're just an, such an amazing dude. Uh, great actor, by the way, and. Uh, I'm uh, just privileged to to spend time with you, man, and, and, and work with you. So thank you so much for, for being here. Absolutely. All right, man. Thanks, man. All right.